Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. I want you to envision with me a world in which you and I live in where we no longer have to have human interaction. Doesn't that sound nice? Do any of you, there's some people at 830 that raised their hand for this one, right? Where you don't have to have human interaction. You can go through your entire day and just be by yourself. In fact, in just the next five years, I want you to think about just the next five years, if you decided to make this transition, where you went and you bought one of these fancy self-driving cars, right? And that looked nice, and you don't have to worry about any of the jerks on the road because everybody else has self-driving cars, so nobody cuts each other off anymore or swerves into the lane, and everything just happens nice and peacefully. And, and you can actually text and drive because I know none of you do that right now, right? <laughs> none of you ever are tempted to do that, but you can actually legitimately text and drive uh, because your car drives itself. And so you get in your car, you wake up in the morning, you get in your car, and you go to your favorite coffee place. In fact, you've already sent your order into the place, and wouldn't you know, you get there and there's this incredible robot that has the coffee ready for you at the drive through window. Which, oh, by the way, they already have these in Japan. And so you get your coffee and you go home and you work from home because everybody works from home because nobody works in office places anymore because you don't want to have human interaction. And so that's what you do, and it comes about lunchtime, and you start getting hungry, and for some reason, you get the craving to have pizza. But because you live in Michigan, you know that you should probably order Little Caesars because you want to support a local business, right? And so you get out your phone again, and you order a pizza, and you get back in your self-driving car, and you go to Little Caesars, and you go up to the kiosk, and you put your QR code underneath, and you don't have to talk to anybody. You just grab the pizza box, and you go home. Has any of you actually used this already? Right? They already have these in the Little Caesars, just so you know. And so you go back home, you finish working, and you know, it's getting later in the day, and you realize that you don't have groceries, so you can't make yourself dinner, and you say, you know what, I'm just going to order dinner. And so, somehow you order dinner from a local restaurant, and there's just a bag waiting for you on the porch, and you enjoy a nice dinner by yourself. So let me ask you again, honey, that sounds great, right? Absolutely no human interaction. Do you realize that we live in a culture that is moving away from real human interaction? That there are businesses, there are organizations, there are things that are taking place right in front of us to help us disconnect from each other. And those of you that, that, that follow Jesus and, and you know that we believe that there's a devil that is at work and that he's constantly kind, trying to kill, steal, and destroy, I want you to think about how something subtle as this the advancement in technology could actually be used as a tool to draw us away from each other. See, even when we go out to eat, even when we maybe think that we're, that we're actually connecting with other people, how often do we look at the tables next door? Or if we're honest, we look at the table that we're sitting at, and this is kind of our reality. I mean, I love it. You can go to Starbucks, right? You can order it online, and it just sits in a tray, and you don't even have to talk to anybody. Grab your cup of coffee and leave. See, the future is now, and it's only going to continue to see this take place. And so that's one of the realities that we're facing, one of the realities that we face in the culture that we live in. Here's the other one that I would submit to you this morning. We also live in a culture that promotes an us-versus-them mentality, and it seems to have become more prevalent lately in society, right? And so if you don't think like me, if you don't look like me, if you don't believe like me, if you don't behave like me, then I probably don't want to be around you. 
and somehow this has become encouraged. In fact, you can, this t-shirt, I didn't make this t-shirt, you can buy this t-shirt on Amazon, and even this, you know, us versus everybody has really become a theme in our nation, and so we put things like Detroit versus everybody, or we put our favorite sports teams versus everybody. This whole concept of this us versus them mentality. And what's interesting is if you talk to people who don't go to church, or maybe they went to church when they were younger and now they don't go to church anymore, they will look at the church and they will say, the church feels like an us versus them group. It feels like an us versus them organization. And so again, as we look at how we become students of our community, as we look at what's taking place in our society, how do we, you know, grapple with what's taking place all around us. Now, if you're a guest here, uh, as John said, thank you so much for being here. My name's Tim. I get to be the lead pastor, and we are in a four-part sermon series called Forward. And this is different than the sermon series we normally do here, as we are looking at the vision of our church, what we believe God has placed on our hearts for the next five years of Shepherd's Gate. And so if you're a guest, you're kind of getting a behind-the-scenes look at what we believe is the future for our church. But really, as I said last week, uh, we are very open and transparent, so it's not really a peek behind the curtain because everyone gets to peek behind the curtain because together we own the challenges of our community and we own the challenges of our church. And we're so glad that you're here and we want to invite you into the conversation. We want your feedback. We want you to tell us how we're doing as a church. And so today I'm actually going to uh, have the opportunity to talk about the very first part of our three-part vision statement today. What was so interesting is what took place uh, just last week as this very thing, this whole concept of us versus them was actually played out in our society in a very real way. And someone had a platform where they were able to actually address this. And so there just happened to be, I don't know if you saw this, if you saw this on social media, you saw this in the news, but there was two individuals that actually sat next to each other during a Dallas football game, right? See, and it kind of caused a big storm. And so maybe if you didn't get a chance to see that, I got the clip here for you. Let's watch this. During the game, they showed a shot of George and me laughing together. And uh, so... People were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11. And, um, <laughs> but a lot of people were mad, and they did what people do when they're mad. They tweet. And, uh, but here's one tweet that I loved. This uh, person says, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. And, um, I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's okay that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but, but I'm friends with people who wear fur. And I, I'm friends with people who are furry, as a matter of fact. I have <laughs> friends who should tweeze more. And I, I have... But just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Pretty, yeah. See, we need more of this in our society, don't we? We need to be able to be humble to realize that the people around us are just as valuable as we are. And showing value to someone just doesn't happen with our words and saying, okay, well, this is what we're going to say. It actually comes even more so with our actions and the way that we interact and treat people around us. 
See, if you go back to the first book in the Bible, if you go back to Genesis in the first few pages, this is where God lays out his plan for humanity. And he tells us that men and women are actually created in the image of God. Every single person is created in the image of God. And so every time you lock eyes with another human being, do you realize that you are looking at the image of God? And the value that God places on that person, the value that God has for that person. And as followers of Jesus, if God says that he values everyone, certainly as followers of Jesus, we need to check our hearts. And we need to check our behaviors. And we need to check the way that we treat others. And we need to say, God, we want to get in line with the way that you lived your life. We want to get in the way with the line with the way that you tell us we are to live with the time that we have on this planet I mean, that tweet was right. This is what we need of more in America. And it's certainly what people would say we need more of in this church and in the church universal. That Man, the church becomes known as the place that values everyone, even if you disagree with us. Even if you don't, you know, adhere to the same things that we hear to, or maybe we have differences of opinions on things, that at the end of the day, we can still look you in the eyes and value you as a fellow human being and love you unconditionally. See, again, as I talked about last week, the mission of the church, and this church in particular, Shepherd's Gate, has not changed. God has called us to be in our communities. He's called us to share this hope that he has given us, this hope that we just sang about, this hope that we prayed about, this hope that we received in Holy Communion, that we don't get to keep this to ourselves and then just wait until we die. That God has actually put us in our places of work, that he's put us in our schools, that he's put us in our neighborhoods, that we could actually begin to engage those around us that don't have faith, that maybe God would open a door for us to share faith. Amen. And last week I shared this as well. This is uh, what we received from the consultant that we're currently working with. This was some data that he got from the 2010 census of just Macomb County. Just Macomb County, the amount of people that say they have no faith, no faith at all. And last week as we talked about this, as we looked at this number, we said, God, what is it that you would call this church, Shepherd's Gate, to do? And I left you last week with that challenge. I, I challenge you with this. Will you, are you willing to become missionaries with us? Are we willing to figure this out? Are we willing to reach outside the walls of our church and engage those who are far from Christ? Because we know the hope that they can have because we have that hope in our lives. And secondly, what are we willing to do to study our community, to hear from them, to hear their needs, to see what it is that they need from us? And all of you said in all three services all last Sunday that that number on the right is only going to go up after the 2020 census, that that number in that mission field is only going to go up. And so how are we going to do that? How many of you did your homework last week, right? How many of you, you went and you had the conversations with your spouses or the people in your lives or your relationships? I know some of you, you said you actually did this. Thank you. Some of you actually did this with your small groups, which thank you for doing that. So many of you, you sent in emails to me and I was so appreciative of your ideas of how you think Shepherd's Gate can do a better job and what we can do to keep moving forward into what God has for us. And if you haven't had a chance to do that, man, I love getting emails. You want to send me an email, I will reply to your email. So keep the ideas coming in because what that does for me is it shows I'm not just preaching to you and then you leave and you forget everything I said, right? What it shows is that you are engaging in this process and that you too want to figure out how we can complete the mission that God has given us to love everyone on the planet. And so that's what we've been challenging all of us to become, students of our community, 
What are the needs of our community, but also missionaries? And today we're going to look at a Bible passage where we're going to see Jesus clearly in the passages, in this real life account of his interaction with someone, how he showed value and grace and mercy to someone. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 4. There's chair Bibles that are right in front of you. It's found on page 888. Eight. Makes it nice and easy. Uh, if you're in the front row or they're underneath the seat, if you have your own Bible, you're certainly welcome to turn there. If you want to look at the Bible app on your phone, you can do that as well. But page 888, John chapter 4. And as we're turning there, if you're a guest and you don't have a Bible of your own, or maybe the Bible you have at home is it is um, just difficult to read. I would just encourage you, you can take one of these Bibles home with you today. We just believe this is the greatest gift that we can give you. And so on behalf of our church, would you please just um, make sure you take care, make sure that you do that today. But on page 88, chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Okay, so he's on his way to Galilee. And then in verse 4, it says this, and he had to pass through Samaria. And I want to stop just right there because John's the one that wrote the, the Gospel of John. He's one of the disciples. And back in this time period, actually, Jews never actually went to Samaria. They would never visit Samaria. They would purposely go around Samaria to get to Galilee. And so they would add extra distance to their walking steps in order to do that because they despised the people of Samaria. They were at odds with this people group, right? There was racism on, on, a, on a very real level. In fact, they considered people from Samaria, the Jews considered people from Samaria worse than dogs, and they wanted nothing to do with them. They despised them. And so when John writes this, it's almost like it's like, and Jesus had to take the shortcut. Jesus had to go through Samaria. In verse 5, it says, He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And this is really cool because we, we find Jesus in a human form, right? He's, he's fully human. He's tired. Uh, the heat has been hitting him all day and he's actually thirsty. And so he needs to take a break. He needs to sit down. He needs to get a cup of water. Verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw the water and Jesus just says to her, give me a drink. First disciples had gone into the city to buy food. How does Jesus interact with this woman? On a very practical level, right? He's just engaging in a simple conversation with her. Hey, I'm thirsty. Can you give me a drink of water? And then look at her response in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John adds this detail in parentheses, right? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Isn't it interesting? He's just trying to engage in a practical conversation with her. And what does she do? She brings in the rules. She's the one that brings in the law. She's the one that says, Jesus, don't you realize that you shouldn't even be talking to me? You shouldn't even be here. Why are you even at this well? First of all, you're a Jew. You shouldn't be talking to me. Second of all, you're a man and men don't talk to women. I mean, you're breaking all sorts of rules. You're breaking all sorts of laws. She's the one that introduces law to Jesus. But look at verse 10. It says, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw the water with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Right? She's not fully comprehending what it is that Jesus is telling her. But look at verse 13. It says this, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. In one sentence, in one moment, Jesus takes it from being an everyday practical conversation to turning the woman's attention toward eternity. And isn't it interesting that in this moment, in this sentence, in his transition sentence, he doesn't offer her law. He doesn't tell her she's a sinner. He doesn't tell her that she needs to go, you know, fix her life and then come back to him and get it all together. He offers her grace. And he says, this is what I can do for you. You can drink this water and guess what? You're going to have to come back next day because you're going to be thirsty again. But man, if you believe in me and you believe in the words that I'm about to speak into your life, you will never thirst again on a spiritual, eternal level. Look at what Jesus says. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then something clicks, right? Something clicks within the woman and she says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. And they begin to have this dialogue. They begin to have this face-to-face conversation in all of these following verses. As Jesus presents the, the, the message of the hope that she can have in him, he begins to have this real honest conversation with her. And then it's interesting because in verse 27 it says, Oh, all of a sudden the disciples came back. And and what does it say? They're marveling that he's talking with the woman. First of all, they're not happy that they're in Samaria, right? They probably weren't happy that they were set into a town that they've probably never been in to go buy food. Imagine that interaction, right? They're like, hey, which grocery store should we hit up? What do you think Jesus wants to eat? Fish? No, I think he wants beef. No, he probably wants something else. What are we going to do? And they come back and they find him talking with the woman, but luckily they didn't have the courage to even ask him about it. Why? Because they knew the law. And yet here's Jesus again giving her grace and mercy. If you jump down to verse 34, it says, Jesus said to them, my food is to not do the will of him who sent me, or my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish this work. See, as they're having this dialogue, as he begins to teach the disciples, he affirms the mission that God has given him. And you can say this this way, my mission is to do the will of him who sent me. That's exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. And it's exactly what he called the disciples to do. And it's exactly what he still calls you and I to do today. And I pray that when we wake up in the morning that we're able to say these words, God, today I want to do your will. I want to do the will of why you sent me to this earth. I want to do the will of why you put me in Metro Detroit. Because all of you, guess what? You're not here on accident. If God wanted you in Florida, guess what? You would be in Florida. Okay, if God wanted you in Hawaii, you'd be in Hawaii, right? If God wanted you in a town where 99% of the people were already followers of Jesus and you only had to go go after the 1% of the lost sheep, guess what? God would have put you in that town. No, all of you have jobs and homes and family members in this area because he trusts you and he trusts me that we can actually engage our community and share the hope that we have in Christ. Isn't that incredible? Man, he trusts us a lot and he trusts us a lot more than he trusts the other people that live in communities that don't have 
the mission field that we have. And so may me be able to say that. And look at what he follows it up with. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? And he looked at him and he looks at these disciples and he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes from your cell phones. <laughs> okay, I may have added that. Okay. And see that the fields are white for harvest. Guys, look at all these people who don't know me. Look at all these people that you have the opportunity to introduce me to. Look at all these people that you have the opportunity to sit at a well and engage a woman or engage a man or engage a child and to be able to have a conversation and do something as simple as share a cup of water or a cup of coffee or whatever the case may be. The opportunities that you and I have on a practical level. And I love how this whole thing plays out. In verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Is that not crazy? This woman had no idea what she was going to encounter on this day. And here she comes to do something so simple as to draw water. And now all of a sudden, she becomes a missionary in one moment. She didn't go through 45 Bible classes, right? She doesn't got 16 degrees. She didn't have to go through an evangelism 101. In one day, she is able to reach her community simply because she got in contact with Jesus and Jesus transformed and changed her life. It's because of the woman's testimony that so many of them believed. And I love this, and we probably don't point this out enough in the passage, but they actually came to Jesus and they said, would you stay here with us? Would you stay a little while? Imagine this conversation with the disciples, how much fun this would be. Hey guys, guess what? Unpack your bags. We're staying here another two days. And why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just continue on to Galilee, right? He's got three years from the time he started his ministry to the time he has to die on the cross for your sins and my sins to rise from the dead that we may have life. And yet he was willing to give up two days. Why? Because he valued everyone he met. And he valued those people and he knew that by talking to this woman, by talking that, to that village in that town, that his message was going to go out from there. He was always on point. He was always on mission. See, we have no idea. We really don't have any idea how one moment might impact someone with the love of Jesus. And it's simple. It's simply engaging the people that God has already put in our lives. It's taking those few extra seconds at the coffee shop, right, to engage the person that's serving us. It's putting down the cell phones at the restaurant and engaging the waitress and the waiter and actually knowing their name and ask, actually asking them how their day is going. It's about interacting with people in our places of work, people we know that are going through struggles and taking those extra few seconds or maybe an extra few minutes and letting the email sit because God wants to be on point with you and God wants to use you in that moment to impact someone's life. And I, again, I was so thankful for the, the amount of feedback that I got from last week as we talked about just the, the, the way that God is positioning our church and what it is that God has for our future as we move forward. And one of the members came up to me and she just said, well, what if we start here at Shepherd's Gate? She goes, Tim, I really think that some of us, we've gotten too comfortable in our own church and there's no way we're gonna be un that we're going to be willing to be uncomfortable in our community if it doesn't start here at Shepherd's Gate. And so this was her idea. You ready for this? She said, you should just have everybody stand and just move one row forward and then sit down again and see what happens. See how many people leave. Would any of you leave? 
Some of you, just me saying that's causing anxiety, isn't it? In the front row, you gotta go to the back, sorry. <laughs> like, what are we willing to do to start here at Shepherd's Gate? Maybe it starts with this. Any, anybody know this guy? Does this guy look familiar to you? Does this look like a guy who would attend our church? You think he's a member? None of you? Nobody recognizes him? His name's actually Mark Meyer. He was here uh, four weeks ago, and um, he just happens to be the consultant that we're working with. And here's the crazy part. Those of you that own businesses, because I used to work at the Marriott Hotel, and they used to do this all the time. Part of his consulting is being a secret shopper on Sunday mornings, which is a little stressful, right? So this guy spent all Sunday morning with us. He attended all three services. He came in and out of our church three times through three different doors, to actually test the friendliness of our church and to do kind of this assessment through the eyes of a guest. How do you think it went? Good. I think it went well. Here's the nice part. The greeters, you guys rock because every single door that he came in, th in through, he was greeted at. But when he came inside our church, when he went to different areas, when he went into the fellowship hall to get coffee, when he walked around and acted like he didn't know where he was because he was just doing this, no one interacted with him. No one came up to him, and he was really surprised by that because of the friendliness that this church is known for. And I don't know, is it because he's 6'3", right? Is it because he was a guy by himself? And so if it's a guy by himself, maybe they're more intimidating than if it was a woman by herself or a family with kids or somebody pushing a stroller or whatever that case may be. We were really happy because one of the things that he does is he actually tries to break into the kids' area. He does this at every church he goes to. And we were really happy that we got positive scores in all of that, that our security guards were right on him and said, hey, what do, you, do you have a kid? You know, blah, blah, blah. How can we help you? And redirected him out of there. Because apparently he's been at churches where he's walked into the nursery and sat down in rocking chairs, which is nuts. So we're so glad that that didn't happen. <laughs> so those of you with kids, grandkids, no, we scored high in that. But when it came to the face-to-face -face interaction with our members, we got some work to do, Right? And I get that. That's on us, right? We got to do a better job of encouraging to do that, of us not always circling around with the people we know, but looking for people that we don't know and engaging them because we don't know if they're just going to give us one shot at this. They're just going to come one time to our church and they're going to be looking for us to interact with them. And so today, this is really the first part of our three-part vision. And I think you guys know where we're going with this, but I, we just think that this is what God has laid on our heart, that we will value everyone we meet. That we as a church will value everyone we meet. No matter if it's here or if it's out in our community, no matter if they look like us or don't look like us or act like us or don't like us, whatever the case may be, that we are going to stop looking down and we are going to start looking up and we are going to engage people on unprecedented levels. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to make sure that everyone who walks through our doors feels welcome, valued, loved, and part of the Shepherd's Gate family. And those words are very intentional. We will be a place for people to call home and connect with friends who become like family. You know, this is one of our strongest values here at Shepherd's Gate. That when you become part of Shepherd's Gate, you become part of the family that we take care of our own, that we walk alongside each other. And God is certainly providing a way for us to begin to increase the opportunity to have more and more people come that we can walk alongside of, people that we can make part of God's family. And then the second one is this. Second is this, is that we're actually going to be great neighbors and we're going to intentionally pursue relationships 
with people outside our church. Man, it'd be so easy for us to just focus on ourselves, but that's not what God has called us to do. We are going to listen closely to all generations. We are going to speak gracefully because that's what Jesus did with people. And we are going to love everyone wholeheartedly. Not because we're trying to get them to join our church, not because we're trying to get them to, you know, jump through a church program or become, a, you know, a member of this or that, but because God values them and because God values them, we value them. And when five years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to say, man, we did everything that we could to engage those in our midst. God, we did everything that we could to value those that you put in our path each and every day. And so here's kind of the goals that we have for the next five years for this one particular vision, right? This is a three-part vision. So for the next five years, these are going to be our goals that we're going to train and we're going to equip and we're going to launch our church. And it's going to start in the homes. Because again, from last week, the Sons and Daughters of Shepherd's Gate, that group of people that, that, that raised their kids here at Shepherd's Gate and they've been disconnected. We need to figure out what's going on and how the church can serve them again and bring them back in. We're going to take this message into our workplaces. And those of you that are students, you're going to take it into your schools and, of course, into our community. And we're going to be so bold as to ask God to trust us. Think about this. God, you can trust Shepherd's Gate. You can trust us because we want to be a church for the community. So will you help us reach the 478,858 that don't know you, that are far from you? God, help us to value them and to love them and engage in conversations with them. God, we want to be that church. So trust us with your people, the people that you created, the people that you love, the people that you're drawing to yourself. And you might look at that number, 478,858. How in the world do we even begin to tackle that number. Here's what we came up with. Good, write that one down. Is that everybody that calls Shepherd's Gate home, everybody that's willing to become missionaries with us, imagine if you just picked four people. I guarantee you every single person in here knows four people or four families or four couples or whatever the case may be. For five years, four people. Maybe one of them's at your work. Maybe one of them's at your school. Maybe there's a couple families in your neighborhood that you're nice to and you say hi to, and maybe you even snowplow their snow in the winter, but you know that you could do more. You know that you could value them more. You know that you could engage them more. What would that look like if all of us went on this journey together and said, man, here's the four that I'm going to pray for every day. Here's the four that I'm going to engage with every day. Here's the four, God, that I'm going to put down my Desires so that maybe, just maybe, I can share the hope that I found in you with them. And then we're saying, hey, if we do this, maybe there's a chance that God would allow us to worship over a thousand people here at Shepherd's Gate. See, we still have some rooms. I don't know if you know, I know you're the 10 o'clock service, so you have less room, but we still have some gaps in our chairs. 8.30, there's tons of room. If any of you want to come to 8.30, you get your own row, right? There's even some uh, room at 11.30, and even what this looks like for the future of us, if we need to expand what we need to do to be able to be a place that people can come and hear the message of Jesus. And I'll be talking more about this 500 people online at Influencers Night because I don't have the time today, but I hope you'll come and you'll hear kind of our strategic plan for that. And then lastly, that we're going to ask God that 50% of our growth every year, that it would actually come from the people who are uncertain, the people that claim no faith, and those that we've kind of lost along the way that we would reconnect them to Shepherd's Gate. 
We want to pray big, bold prayers. We want to ask God, man, to help us have the heart and the passion and the drive for what drives him, which is watching people that don't know him come to know him. So I'm going to end with this. This is a a scripture from the Apostle Paul, who is by far one of the most uh, uh, profound church planners in the history of the planet. In fact, God used him to plant churches in communities that had statistics that were even tougher than ours to swallow. I mean, they were up against so many odds, and he would go into a community, they didn't even know who Jesus was, and Paul would go and he'd plant a church. And these are the words that he said to one of these churches. I want you to think about this, and this is what I want you to think about this week. This is the homework assignment for this week. It's that we would devote ourselves to prayer first and foremost. That we would be so bold to say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. That we'd be watchful. That we'd look around, that we'd see the community, that we'd see the needs of our community. And that, yeah, we'd even be thankful for the hope that God has given us. And then look at what he says next. Next, Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. I mean, this guy's amazing, right? He's in jail and he's still praying. Hey, as we're praying for you, as you're reaching the community here, will you also pray for me who's in jail that God will still use me to be an influence? Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then here's his words uh, of comfort to them, right? Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Hey, just make the most of every opportunity, church. As you go about your day, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, I love that he uses this word, that you're actually going to interact with people. Let it be full of law and tell them that they're sinners and they need to be in church. And why aren't they in church? And then take one of the pew Bibles and beat them over the head with it. No, just say, let your conversation be full of And go back to the way that Jesus interacted with the woman at the well, that your conversations are full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may be able to answer and to interact and to love and to value everyone you meet. Man, imagine what that church would look like. Imagine if we get a heart and a passion for the things that God has a heart and a passion for, what he can do in and through this church on 23 Mile that's next to Cat and Meineke and across the street from a Tim Hortons and a White Castle. Imagine what God could do with us. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we're so humbled and grateful because it is your grace that has brought us to faith. It is your grace that sustains us. God, and I don't believe anybody that's here this morning is here by accident. God, you've assembled the people of this church at this time that God together we could do more than we could hope, think, or imagine because we were willing to humble ourselves. We are willing to pray the bold prayers and God we are willing to be your hands and feet into a community that we know is far from you and a community that doesn't know you. So God may we be your instruments to value everyone we meet. God, we love you and we thank you. And over the next couple of weeks, continue to stir our hearts, continue to unify this place like never before. It's in your son's most holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Will you please stand this morning for the blessing? And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
may he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he look upon you with favor and give you his peace.